Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life. You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Brian Johnson. Brian is the philosopher and CEO of Entheos. He also created Philosopher's Notes, taught Optimal Living 101, wrote a little book called The Philosopher's Notes, and is featured in the documentary Finding Joe. He's got a monthly Big Ideas column in Experience Life magazine. In this interview, you'll learn about how to deal with crazy thoughts in your head. We'll also talk about figuring out who you are and what to do with your life. We'll address knowing that there's something more in life, but not knowing how to explain it to your family, your friends, or even being able to articulate it to yourself. We'll also talk about figuring out if you're good enough to follow your heart and be successful. I'd love to start off by making sure that people kind of understand your story, and I think it would be a cool place to start, especially in the context of what, what were some of the challenges that you faced as a young adult, and how did those challenges lead you to be where you are now? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm 38 years old now, and went to UCLA, blue-collar family, first-generation college student. Uh, raised in a really conservative Catholic family, and uh, so I go to UCLA. I love psychology. Tried a bunch of different majors. Fell in love with psychology, and uh, I thought I'd get my PhD in psychology. Then I realized it, I'd go insane if I did that. It just was too kind of myopic for me to focus on one particular subject for that long. And, and positive psychology wasn't wasn't around at that point. If it was, it would have been a different feel for me. Um, and then I wound up getting recruited to go into Arthur Anderson, uh, which was an old accounting and consulting firm. And as you know, I threw up on my way home from work in the first week. You know, the idea of me doing that as a career literally left me nauseous. And I pulled over on the, the side of the 405 here in LA and uh, threw up, <laughs> uh, you know, and then I thought law school would be cool and studied for the LSAT. I'd work during the day, go home, study for the LSAT, took that, you know, got into the top 10 law school, thought I'd go do that, get a stamp saying I'm a smart guy. And, but I, I knew in the back of my mind that it just it wasn't really what I wanted to do. It was kind of a better than solution. Uh, went there and then funny, you know, move into my, my little apartment up there in Berkeley, threw up after moving in that day. And just, just a sense of like, of uh, that wasn't it. Spent less than a semester there and then um, dropped out of law school, ended a five-year relationship in the same 24-hour period of time and, and um, had no idea what I would do. Most challenging time in my life. And uh, the only thing I knew I wanted to do at that time, besides burn my resume and not think about that stuff, was to work with kids, <laughs> to coach a Little League baseball team. And, and out of that, which we can talk more about if you want, created my first business and wound up winning a business plan competition and hired the law firm that I would have wanted to work for um, by the time I would have graduated, and just a really fun opportunity um, as an entrepreneur uh, as I started to trust myself and follow my heart and all that good stuff. But that's, that's kind of, we can talk about all that so much more, but I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. So we'll go more into that as we go along, and then how, where does that lead you? So 
find yourself as being somewhat of an entrepreneur and um, you start e-teams and how does that lead up to the philosopher's notes and finally to Anthios, which is uh, where we are right now? Yeah, and somewhat accidentally, you know, 15 years ago when I first started this path and was dropping out of law school, literally 15 years ago, I didn't have any of the wisdom that I have now and I hadn't done any of the work. I'd read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and, and uh, that was about it. And uh, what I did was I, I learned to, in hindsight, I can say that what I did was I, I took some risks. I was willing to push and lean into some edges and trust myself. And I had a very low tolerance for stuff that, that I wasn't passionate about, and I worked hard. When I get into something, I put everything into it, and I go for it, and I refuse to go back and get a normal job. Um, and, you know, worked hard at what we did and really went for it um, and wound up selling my first business, E-Teams, uh, and had enough to take a little bit of time off, wound up traveling and studying and becoming a philosopher, a lover of wisdom. And then I needed to make some money again and wanted to create again and created my second business. Um, we wound up raising some money for that as well and, and got to a point where that didn't feel like what I really was here to do. We sold that business as well. And then again, had some time to, to kind of step back and decided to give myself a PhD in how to live. Couldn't find a program. I thought about positive psychology. I thought about philosophy and business and all these different programs, but none of them were really what I wanted to study exclusively. I wanted to study all of it. So I decided to give myself my own PhD and spent four years doing that. And, um, you know, we can talk about what I did there, but, but did that. And, uh, and here I am. So a lot of a lot of opportunities to trust myself more, to fall down and to get back up and to go for it again and again and have learned a lot and feel blessed to, to have the life that I do now, which is really much more coherent and in integrity with what I'm most passionate about. So when I first came across your work, like many people probably it was accidentally and I came across your site and there's, we'll get more into that in, in a minute. But as I started to introduce people, cause I was finding this great wisdom and I'm just like, you know, taking the bullhorn out and like, you, you guys need to know about this, you know? And I think that's initially how it always is when we get really excited about something and we want to share it with people, especially if it really touches our lives. And as I'm explaining to people what Philosopher's Notes is and kind of who this Brian guy is that like now my family is getting forwarded all kinds of emails from this strange Brian Johnson dude and they kind of want to know what's going on, what is this? Um, as I'm starting to explain it to people, I, I always come back to this uh, part of the story where you share how you figured out that you wanted to create Philosopher's Notes. And you, the way that I would bring it up is I'd say, yeah, so he asked himself this question, um, what do I love to do so much that I would pay to do it every single day? And then the trick part to that question is now, how can I get paid to do that? Can you talk a little bit about what that process was like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I just chatted with uh, Michael Gelb, who's become a friend of mine over the last several years, who wrote a book called How to Think Like Da Vinci. And he has this exercise where you write 100 questions down. You don't let your pen stop writing 100 questions. Um, and then you identify what are the most powerful questions for you in your life. And then you, you kind of reflect on those questions and some power questions that, that he suggests. And this is from his book, How to Think Like Leonardo Da Vinci. And he says, principle number one of a genius like Da Vinci is curiosity. You've got to be curious about your life. You've got to be willing to ask questions and challenge things. And the question that he asked that really challenged me was, how can I get paid to do what I love to do? And I vividly remember writing that down on a piece of paper, hanging it 
via dental floss to my shower head and taking a bath and meditating on it. And, you know, just thinking about well, how do I get paid to do what I love to do, you know, and, and to your point, what do I love so much that I'd actually pay to do it? And then how do I get paid to do that? And for me, it was very apparent. This was uh, 2001. So, you know, going on 12 years ago now. And at the time, I was passionate about the same things. I wanted to understand how to live optimally. What does that look like? Who are the greatest wisdom philosophers of all time? Who embodies this wisdom? How can I embody it? How can I inspire and empower other people to go out and and live this? And how can I get paid to read and to study life and to share this wisdom and to have great conversations? And really reflected on that. And again, it, it, none of this happened in a you know snap of the fingers, magic wand, boom, my life is different. But as I diligently, patiently, persistently showed up and did the work, both reflecting and contemplating and experimenting, I've made so many mistakes and I've fallen short so many times. And when people look at my life now, they think it's like this one awesome through line of, well, you decided to do this and then this happened and that happened. Wow, bingo, you're living a great life. <laughs> I always laugh at that because they, they miss the, the, oh my God, what have I done moments in the, you know, it didn't work out the way I wanted to moments. And it's a big part of my work now is to remind people that the hero's journey is one where we're fighting dragons. You know, we're not sidestepping lizards. We're like going up against our greatest fears and, and falling short and getting up and trying again and again and again. Yeah, I'd love to go more into that a little bit later on in the chat. And I want to bring it back now so people can understand how our relationship has developed and um, sprouted and flourished. And so so for me, my kind of standpoint and where we crossed in life was that I was at a point where I was kind of doing all the things that society told me I should be doing. I had a pretty actually uh, adventurous childhood, if we call it that, troubled childhood, adventurous childhood, um, however we want to frame it. And I, I kind of like got, like got my shit together to the point where I had a good job making a nice living for a 24-year-old, and, uh, and I was miserable on the inside. Not only miserable, but I was, I was sick. Um, sick, not just in physical ways, but just emotionally, like not well, um, mentally not well, spiritually not well. And I was working so hard, and I just realized like more of the money, more status, more vanity, all of this is not the answer, but where is the answer? Like, where is it out there? And I I had almost come to the conclusion, I had come to the conclusion that I needed to change, and I I was going to leave my job in six months or whatever it was. And it was in this process that I was doing some research on the Internet, and I came across Philosopher's Notes, and I watched, like, the PNTVs that you you did, and I literally, it's like, yes, this is what I've been looking for, and it was so translatable. So here was all this great wisdom that from like a street dude like me, I'm, I'm not really an academic, I'm not the guy who did well in school, but I'm the guy who's seen a lot um, kind of through his own experience in life. And it's a different type of intelligence, and for, for me what it was is that you were translating all this great wisdom in a way that was always non-accessible to me. I just didn't get it. And you're just like, oh, like, this is what he's saying. Like, Socrates, all the dude is saying is, like, just know yourself. Like, that's what, you know, that's what you got to do. Um, so to me, it felt like you had given me access to this plethora of goodness that I could use to um, create an optimal life. And, uh, and finally, you know, finally I started to say, oh, this is the wisdom I've been looking for. This is, this is the guidance that I've needed. Um, and I took it really seriously. I would watch 
a philosopher's notes video, um, first thing when I woke up in the morning, I would go and meditate, and then I would rewatch the same video and take notes the second time. And I did this for like four months, pretty much every wow. morning. Um, and it was probably about six months after this that you put out Optimal Living 101. And uh, just so Optimal Living 101, for everyone who's listening, is kind of the branded as the class that we never had. And uh, it goes into how to create an optimal life. And I sent Brian an email saying, dude, like, I'm all about it, but finances are tight right now. Um, I don't have a job at this point. Um, and I remember sending you the email, and I've been so immersed in your work that uh, part of the email was like, yeah, when I stop during my day and I face a challenge, I say, Jesus, what would Brian Johnson do? Um, and that was kind of like part of my um, part of my email to you asking for the scholarship, and, and you gave it to me, and, and then – during the time of this course, um, you gave me a kind of a week. I went in and did the group coaching, and I was just sharing what I was going through so authentically and, and vulnerably. I'm wondering what that was like from your vantage point, where here you're kind of doing a group coaching, and um, I know what it was like from my, from my experience, and I'm wondering what your side of that relationship was like at that point as it was developing. Yeah, well, I think I love that story. Now, you hadn't shared um, those details with me before, so it, it gets me uh, all a little misty-eyed over here just to hear that and um, thrilled <laughs> to, uh, to hear all that. And then what I loved about you and what I think is so critical as we look at, at what lessons we can glean and apply to, to all of our lives, and particularly those who are, you know, in that, that kind of young adult, well, who am I, what do I want to do phase, it was your passion. You know, you were so authentically passionately committed to your life. Um, and obviously we had resonance in the style that, that I was presenting this wisdom. Um, and I loved it. You know, there was a level of, of enthusiasm that I could feel from you that's really inspiring for me. So as I'm teaching and leading this discussion, there's nothing more inspiring than someone who's inspired. And when I look back over my life over the last, you know, 15, 20 years and, and kind of some of the critical moments in the relationships that I formed, there's no question that just like our relationship um, had that at its heart, at its core of you, you were working hard. You were doing the work. It wasn't just a passive, hey, this is neat, and yeah, hook me up. It was, I love this stuff. I'm doing this work, and I'd love to be part of it. And people respond to that. I responded to that, and everyone will always respond to that. And for whatever reason, it's really, really rare for individuals to really light up about something in their lives. And when they do, and they authentically do the work like you did and like I've done in my life, um, and we reach out for support, it's there. And there's, it's Joseph Campbell, you know, doors open where you couldn't have imagined they'd appear and opportunities unfold that you couldn't have imagined. Um, when we follow our bliss, we trust ourselves, we do hard work, um, and we show up. So that was my experience is just, um, you know, kind of the, this guy's awesome. I remember reading your email. Your email was so great. I read it to Alexandra, who at the time was my girlfriend, uh, who's now my wife, of course, and uh, just loved it. You know, it just jumped off the screen. I'm like, this guy's awesome. Check this out. <laughs> So super fun. Yeah, right on, dude. And so for everyone who's listening, this was really important for me to bring up because I wanted to show everybody who's in a similar position that I was in, how I was, you know, really the behind the scenes of how this was able to happen. And um, there hasn't been, uh, can, you know, next to my dad and one other mentor that I've had in my life, there, there really hasn't been, um, and maybe my mom and my sister, anybody who's changed my life as much as, as Brian and without his, you know, be without your mentorship and your guidance and your generosity, I can keep listing all the things, but without all of that, there's no way I'd be as 
um, in, at peace as I am inside and, uh, and kind of the person that I am inside cultivated the characteristics internally to reflect an outer world and, and be able to do something like this. So I'll just stop and say thank you. Right on, man. Well, you're welcome, and thank you. And this is what inspires me. I mean, to have to have you in my life and someone who's so inspired uh, and so inspiring, it's what I live for. It's what anyone who's listening to this is is needs to know. Is that you know, as you look for mentors who really inspire you and people whose work inspires you, like work, you know, and put in the effort and really show up passionately with life. And that's what lights people up. I mean, you know, it's one thing to do. Everyone who's in a position that you want to be in or who you'd like to have their support wants to support passionate human beings, you know. And so for me, it's the thank you. Thank you for showing up and thank you for doing this work and for, for alchemizing this wisdom in a way that only you can alchemize, you know, and to show up. And then it makes me excited to say, well, how can I support you? You know, like, what can I do to help you shine even more? And, uh, you know, we haven't mentioned it. Maybe you will or have done in the, uh, in the intro, but just, you know, we're working together on this, right? What's, what's unfolded with, with us getting together over the last several years and saying, let's do something together. Let's create something that you can get your wisdom out there in a way that is distinct. Um, you know, it's just, it's fun. And I think that's the heart of it. When you're really light, lit up and you're living your life authentically, um, amazing things can happen and, and people will respond in ways you couldn't have imagined. Yeah, so let's talk about that because that day that we met, so the way that the conference came to be was I met Brian in California on my way. I was traveling for three months and I stopped in California on my way to Asia. And this was an edge for me. I, was, I pushed myself to go to Southeast Asia to live um, inexpensively so I could work on building my business. And it was, it was out of my comfort zone to do it. I was scared and excited at the same time. And, and as I'm going through L.A. for a week, I, I hit up Brian and I say, like, B, what's up? Can we make this happen? And we do. Um, but the, the kind of caveat is right before I'm supposed to meet Brian, I had been dating a girl for a couple months who I was so, so passionate. Like, my passion for, like, optimal living, same kind of passion for her. I was really into her. And, uh, and she's supposed to meet me at the hotel pretty much, like, two hours before my meeting with Brian. And um, I hadn't seen her, and I had been gone for almost a month at that point, and I hadn't seen her, and I was so excited to see her. And I had spent, like, 10 hours researching the hotel and trying to make it perfect and one thing or another. And long story short is she stands me up, and she doesn't show up. And this is, like, and I'm slowly, I'm, like, looking, I'm standing in front of the hotel, looking at every cab that pulls up, thinking, is this her? Is this her? For, like, a solid 45 minutes to an hour. And at some point, I just realized, holy shit, she's not coming. And my meeting with Brian is, you know, probably one of the most exciting or important or however we want to label it, meetings is coming up. And, I'm, and I kind of, like, lose my shit, and I totally go into victim mode. And I'm like, how could she do this to me? She knows I had this important meeting. Like, oh, my God, you know, it's whatever. And I, and I lose it. And I'm literally walking to the cafe where I'm going to meet Brian, and I'm not in a good place. Like, I am just not. This is probably, like, the worst. You know, I would think the worst possible condition I could be in to go meet somebody like this, at this in this type of situation. Um, so I show up to this cafe and I meet Brian. We hug it out and we sit down. And, uh, and I just right away, I mean, it didn't take long, maybe five or ten minutes into the conversation for me to just get really authentic and really um, transparent and vulnerable and just say, like, B, I'm going through some shit right now and I don't want to pretend that I'm not and, uh, and this is what's up. 
and <laughs> and you were super cool about it. What was that like from, and then we'll talk about where that led to, but what was that like initially kind of from your point of view and, and uh, in your vantage point? <laughs> I don't know. I remember thinking it was, you know, obviously being compassionate and then just like funny. Of, oh, man, that sucks. Uh, and just, you know, always appreciate just authenticity and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, having been through enough life experiences to know like, well, welcome to life, right? You get excited about something and it's not always going to work out the way you want. And uh, what's the most empowered response, right? Yeah, yeah. Because for me, I was like, it was it was one of those moments where I almost didn't want to show up because of the state that I was in. <clears throat> like choking on my tea right now as I say this, <clears throat> literally, right? So um, one thing leads to another, and uh, I show up anyway. And maybe you can talk a little bit about how the conference came to be um, as I re-get my breath going over here accurately. Yeah, so then well, I want to I want to highlight one of the important things you just said was you didn't feel like showing up. So for me, I've I've I look at my life and often sometimes I look at it and I'm like I, I did some amazing things or succeeded in different ways in spite of myself. Like I had so much fear and so much self doubt, and I can look at the opportunities that came just on the other side of my fear, where you know countless opportunities that I almost didn't go for. We won a business plan competition at UCLA. I wasn't going to enter it because I didn't think we were ready. And I was, I was convinced we weren't ready. We enter it, we win, we raise a million dollars, raise another $4 million. We hired the CEO of Adidas to be our CEO. Amazing, pivotal moment at 23, 24, 25 years old. And I wasn't going to do it because I wasn't ready. And so I think what's really cool, and then there's countless opportunities where I didn't move through my fear, and I don't know what my life would have been like had I had the courage to move through it. So I think you, you could have said, oh, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it after all. Something came up, and, you know, I really would love to connect next time I'm in L.A. That would have been, yeah. you know, not an inappropriate response and one that I've certainly made in different phases of my life. So for you moving through your fear, showing up, even though you felt like crap, you felt like an idiot, and you didn't feel empowered, and here you go, you show up, um, is, is in itself an incredible lesson. Now, conference-wise, again, it's the same thing. It's just, uh, we, you know, we had a business kind of venture that we were looking to start getting into producing virtual conferences and kind of looking at what we wanted to do in 2012, 13. And, uh, you know, we're hitting it off. And I just, one of those moments of, well, we need to share your wisdom with your generation. It's one thing for me to talk about things and all of our other partners, but who's talking to your generation in a cool way, using the same wisdom, grounded, actionable, translated in a way that, that you can do in a, in a fun, cool, hip way. And it just became a, well, what do you think? Um, and of course, you know, here we are, right? Yeah, and I totally wasn't getting it at first, like true confession for the first five, like probably five minutes. I'm like, wait, is he possibly saying I could work with him on a project? Like as you're speaking these things, right, this is just like music to my ears and I'm, I'm almost like not really sure. It's, wait a second. So you're saying I can interview all these people who like I admire and, I, and you'll introduce me to whoever you can and you'll kind of put that, you'll tr help mentor me in figuring out how to interview people and all this. I'm almost like not getting it because it was just too – too awesome, right? Like, holy shit. Um, awesome, dude. So, 
let's um let's transition a little bit and I'd love to talk about some of the big ideas that have shaped my journey so much that I've, I've learned from you and I, I think one of the biggest challenges that we all face as young adults or as people um, is that I had some thoughts in my head that I really didn't like um, and I didn't there were crazy thoughts right I didn't know myself well enough to know that I am not my thoughts and that um, these thoughts are just things that are, are coming up. So can you speak to the idea that we are in our thoughts and actually that we can train and kind of control our minds in some way? Yeah, absolutely. And this, this, is, this is the most important thing we can possibly do in our lives. In the 10 principles that I've identified for optimal living, number one is optimism. And you can, you can make that synonymous with the ability to put your attention, your mind's attention, where you want, when you want. If you can control the contents of your consciousness, you are in a very, very, very good place. If you can't, you're, to put it bluntly, screwed. If your mind is constantly out of control and it's going to all the things you fear and you don't want in your life, you're powerless. If you can shift that and you can basically step in between a stimulus in your life and choose a more empowered response rather than always habitually stimulus response, stimulus response, stimulus response, and come from a negative place, then you have this amazing ability to start consciously creating your life. So that idea of being able to notice your thoughts and to realize you aren't them, and then to be able to step in and say, you know what, I want to rewire my brain. I want to actually change my default programming so that my default response isn't, the victim, my life sucks, I'm screwed response. It's what do I want here and how do I choose the most empowered response? And practicing that diligently, patiently, persistently, day in and day out over days and weeks and months and years is the absolute foundation of creating an extraordinary life. That's incredible. And one of the best ways that I've learned from you and it seems all the science is in alignment with that is um, to, to kind of create a, a bigger gap in between the stimulus and the response. So in, in other words, to create a, a large gap in between what happens and how you react to that is, uh, is meditation. Maybe you could just touch on that for a minute or two, how young adults could um, kind of see if that's right for them or other ways that they can kind of figure out how to, to work their mind a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And again, when I was 22, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, etc., I didn't have control over my mind. My, I'd be up and I'd be down. I'd be up and I'd be down. And I didn't know any of this stuff. And if I can rewind, and I love my life and I wouldn't change anything, but if I can rewind and insert one habit into my life, I'd actually insert three. I'd insert, uh, I'll get to meditation in a second, but I'd exercise. I'd exercise every day. Um, at least go for a mellow walk and actually train, you know, a good five days a week. Not exercising is like taking a depressant, scientists tell us. Not exercising is the equivalent of taking a depressant. Our bodies are made to move. I would have changed that. Um, we can talk about that for a long time. Number two, uh, my nutrition. I would have changed my nutrition sooner. I would have quit eating things out of a box, quit eating refined foods. I would have eaten whole foods much earlier on because our biochemistry, our physiology is direct, and then therefore our mental states are directly uh, related to our nutrition and our exercise. The number three thing, which was going to be my number one, but my number three thing would be meditation and to actually start practicing strengthening my mind. And meditation is basically going to the gym for your mind. 
nearly the equivalent. And if you want to be strong in life, you obviously need to exercise cardiovascularly, strength training, do some flexibility training. These are important things. They're obvious. We know them. We may or may not do them, but we know that. Well, if we want to control our minds, the equivalent of going to the gym or going for a five-mile run or whatever is meditation. And it's simple. You want to sit, and even if it's just for a minute, or two minutes, or three minutes, or five if you're feeling it, or 10 if you're really feeling it, or 15 or 20, but a minute or two or three where you bring your attention to what meditation teachers call an anchor, an anchor point. Um, and your breath is the easiest anchor. To breathe in, say, to a count of four. Really simple. Breathe in to a count of four, and breathe out to a count of six. If you do that for a minute every day, you will train your mind. You'll actually literally strength train your brain to put your attention where you want more consistently. And if you can do that for a minute, two, three, four, five a day, what you'll find is that gap that you're describing of the stimulus in your life in a more empowered response becomes wider and you actually have more control over that. So meditation doesn't need to be some weird thing. Uh, and I wish, if I can rewind and, and start this, I've been doing it seriously now for almost five years. If I could have started that at 20, uh, it'd just be amazing. So that's a quick look at meditation. We can unpack that more if you want. Yeah, I think that's a, a great um, kind of leading ground for people to, to figure out how to in integrate meditation into their life on their own. Um, and, uh, and you've put out felicitations and you have all types of um, resources where we can lead people. And I think one of the most powerful things that came after figuring that, holy shit, if I'm not my mind, I can start to shape my mind. And if I can shape my mind, I can shape myself. And if I can shape myself, I can shape my life. Um, was, was trying to like figure out, I think I was on this identity quest, and I think a lot of people listening to this call can relate. It's trying to figure out who am I and what should I be doing with my life? Like what's my purpose? And that optimal living for me was like it, it schooled me to the game of life, and not only did it school me to the game of life in the sense that it, it taught me about what was going on outside, which I think is what traditional schooling does, right? It tells us to learn math, to learn science, to learn all these things that are outside of us, but there's never really a class in school that puts our attention inward and asks us these quality questions like we were speaking about earlier. What do I love to do so much that I would pay to do it every day? Um, so maybe you can talk to the idea of um, trying to figure out who we are and what we should do with our life and, and how to kind of maybe pinpoint or start to develop a, uh, a purpose in life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, I step back and I look at that and I look at it from the place of, okay, well, why do we want to figure out our purpose in life? Why do I want to figure out who I am, what I'm here to do? And the reason is we want to be happy. We want to have more meaning. We want to have more fulfillment. We want to have more mojo, all these different things we want to experience in our lives more consistently. And we think that if I have a clear mission, a clear purpose, I'll be happier. Great. And then there's truth to that. But the reality is that we can get caught on what I call a holy grail chase, a holy grail chase, where we're constantly seeking the perfect life. And that's one way to go about it. But what we want to do is we want to remember that every single moment gives us an opportunity to express our highest version of ourselves. And that's what I focus on first and foremost. And I, I trace it back to the Greeks. So the classic Greek philosopher said, if you want happiness, the ultimate currency in life, you need to live with what they call arete, which means virtue, excellence. And every single moment gives us an opportunity to either be in integrity with our highest selves or not. And your happiness is going to be determined by how often you can show up 
moment to moment to moment as the highest expression of yourself. And I like to talk about two lines. You've heard me talk about a bunch where you draw one line and it's the line you're capable of being. You draw a line below that and that's the line that you're actually being in this moment. If there's a gap between what you're capable of doing and being and what you're actually doing, that's where regret, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, etc. exists. What we want to do is use every moment to close that gap. That's our highest goal. That's our ultimate purpose so we can live every moment. So when someone cuts you off on the way to work on the freeway or, you know, a test doesn't go quite the way that you want, awesome. You have an opportunity in that moment to either express the highest version of yourself or not. And if you express the highest version of yourself and you take a deep breath and you relax and you imagine what an empowered response would be, well, you're showing up closer to your highest capacity and you're going to feel good. If you get mad and you get all pissy, well, guess what? There's going to be a gap between your potential and your actual showing up. And that's where the regret shows up. So my first step in helping people figure out their specific mission in life is to remind us all that we need to get in integrity. We need to live with that virtue. When we do that consistently, moment to moment to moment, our happiness unfolds, our enthusiasm unfolds, and it makes it a heck of a lot easier to find out the unique mission that we want to live. So I'll stop there, but that's kind of, as you know, how I frame that process. Yeah, I love it. So integrity equals uh, bliss. I hear you say this over and over and over again. And when I... um, when I do coaching now, one of the things I help people understand is what their values are and then to be in integrity with those values for them, like core, what is unique to them, what are the things they really care about that are really meaningful to them, um, and to use those values as a compass so they can figure out where to go in life. So, okay, you know you care about growth and you know you want to make a contribution and you know that health is really important to you and kind of all these things. Well, okay, cool. Use that as a guiding star to help you take a path um, in life. And one of the huge things, so that's really nice, right? That sounds super cool in and, and theory. And then one of the huge things that I think uh, everyone who comes across your work probably takes, takes this away is the kind of the fundamentals, right? Come back to the idea of, okay, well, here's how we actually on a daily basis show up and integrate this great wisdom out there. We integrate it through the fundamentals. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Absolutely, and you're, you're absolutely right. So when we connect that, that vision of our ideal selves with our current reality, the most powerful thing we can possibly do is to get more control of our behaviors and to identify what our fundamentals are. So if you look at great people that you admire in the world, they are consistent on their fundamentals, whether they're a musician or a politician or a business leader or an artist or whatever. They have consistency on their fundamentals. Their fundamentals will differ. An athlete will have different fundamentals than an artist or than a, uh, a business leader, but they've identified either unconsciously or consciously what their fundamentals are and they rock them consistently. So what we want to do is, is, is look at our lives and see when I'm on, when I'm feeling great, what am I doing? And am I doing them right now? So I mentioned some of my fundamentals, exercise, good nutrition, meditation. These are the cornerstones of my life. And I know by looking at my past that when I don't exercise, I don't eat well, uh, and I'm not training my mind, that I can be totally out of control and up and down. Therefore, I'm going to exercise, eat well, and control my mind through meditation and and regular practice throughout the day. And as I do that, 
I feel better more consistently, and then I can actually create the life that I want to create. So fundamentals. We need to identify the key things in our lives that we can do, and the questions that I love to ask myself whenever I'm feeling a little bit wobbly, and then I recommend to people whenever they're feeling a little off, are very simple. One, what's the number one thing you can do in your life? the number one thing that you can do that if you did it consistently would have the most positive impact in your life. Do that. And then what's the number one thing you need to stop doing that if you stop doing it would have the most positive impact on your life. Stop doing that. It's really that simple. If you, if we actually asked and answered that question on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, and we honored the fundamentals that came out of that, we would be more alive than we've ever been. And then the details of, how we show up in our lives um, are much easier to manage and to uh, lean into when we really have self-mastery around those fundamentals. Yeah, I love it. And for me, that fundamentals, uh, what that also provided was a way to deal with the high highs and the low lows, which I know people listening to this call can relate to. So there's that, we kind of go out and we chase these extrinsic incentives, right? We get, I don't know, we buy a new piece of clothing or maybe get a raise at work or go out and I get laid, right? And like something really awesome seemingly would happen, right? But uh, it was short-lived. The excitement would only last for a day or two or three or a week. And then I would equally go as far down. And the fundamentals for me were a way to to um, kind of neutralize and just to have high highs and also lower highs. So to me, that mm-hmm. was also the real importance of um, kind of stabilizing myself in that. And I, one, of the, one of the other um, challenges that I faced during, that, during this time of self-discovery was I knew that there had to be something more to life, but I couldn't articulate what that was, not only to others, but I really couldn't even articulate it fully to myself. And, uh, and with, in, kind of in that place, that's really hard to convince something to other people like our family and friends of something that we're not even fully convinced of of ourselves. We just kind of see a glimmer of truth in that. And I was terrified, dude. I was, yeah, I was like terrified. I didn't know what to do. And you know this from the optimal living calls that we did together. Um, and the thing that kind of the framework that helped me navigate through this process of self-discovery and going out and figuring out what the hell am I here to do and, and rocking that was the hero's journey. I'd love if you could talk about that. Yeah, you said so much good stuff there. I want to hit on really quickly your higher highs and then higher lows. And that's exactly it. We're never going to get to a state where it's constant bliss. It's just not going to happen. There are always going to be some highs and some lows. But what we want to do is we want to manage both. We want to have more stability and control as we're experiencing the highs and not fall into the manic rush of it. And we want to make sure that our lows are higher. So we're not dropping into, you know, I've had, deep, deep, deep depression and thinking of creative ways to end my life 15 plus years ago. And that's, that's pretty deep and pretty low. And as we do these fundamentals, we create scaffolding so we can't fall quite as low. And that's really, really important that we do that. And then we also don't, don't think that we're going to get to a perfect state of, of just awesomeness all the time. There will be highs and lows, but we manage them such that we're never going as low. And it's really hard to have really bad days in a row when you are exercising, meditating, practicing gratitude, um, doing the meditation, etc. So um, I'll leave that. And then the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, 
great mythologist, looked at all great literature and, and myths around the world, and he saw that really they're telling the same story in a thousand different ways. It's the hero's journey. It's the ultimate human story of um, the process of discovering our greatest gifts and, very importantly, discovering how we're going to give them to the world. So the hero... In any great hero's epic, whether it's Star Wars or Iron Man or, or whatever, you have um, a hero that's entering a challenging time. So they're entering the forest of the unknown, and they're leaving their existing community. They're leaving this place that was comfortable for them, and they're trying something new. They're going into this forest of the unknown. And Campbell says, the one sure way you know you're not on the right path is if there's already a path there. The hero's journey is a new path. It's a trail that only you can walk through. Now, you go on that path, and it's scary. You're at an edge. No one wants to go into a forest of the unknown or, or uh, goes into it without any level of fear. Fear is actually good. It's like a reminder of, wow, you, you need to have your senses up and, and show up and be powerful. But anyway, you go on this path. You fight your dragons. And you win. You get some mentorship, and hopefully you win. You get knocked down a couple of times. Maybe an arm gets cut off, metaphorically. And, uh, and then most importantly, you come back with the wisdom that you've gleaned, and you give it to your community in a way that you couldn't have given before you went on this hero's quest. So we can unpack that some more. But that's the basic gestalt of uh, the hero's journey that, that I, too, have been deeply inspired by. Yeah, I would love to unpack that a little bit more and um, talk about some of the tests that come up, whether as we call them fears or tests from the universe. Um, and for, I know one of the things that I'm, I'm learning as I'm working with people more and more is everybody seems to have this value of authenticity. And maybe um, they just have a hard time, I think, expressing who they really are because they're afraid of what people will think about that. And it, it seems to really keep people in this comfort zone so I'm wondering what role authenticity and, and validation, um, seeking validation or escaping the trap of validation play in this kind of universal heroic path? It's huge. I mean, this is, if you look at human nature and how we've evolved, to be ostracized and to be kind of exiled from your tribe back in the day was basically death. So it's a, it's a very primal, fundamental need for connection. So we've got to honor that, first of all, that that's kind of the mammalian brain and the human experience of connection. And so to, to fear the loss of connection is a very, very real thing. Now, that can get out of control where our lives are dictated by whether people are accepting us or not. And we can drive our lives by trying to please other people and really live uh, in inauthentic life. So to be authentic literally means, it comes from the same root as the word author. Authentic and author have the same root word. And basically to be authentic is to be the author of your own life, where you're living in integrity with, with what you feel is right for you at that phase of your life. And you're hopefully doing so with a level of compassion and sensitivity to your family and your community, although that, that tends to uh, evolve as we mature, <laughs> and there are fits and starts to that process. Um, but ultimately, we need to have the courage to trust ourselves and to really go out and to, uh, to find what is the most authentic path for us. And that comes, again, um, with challenges as we communicate and, and oftentimes break away from our current family structures and find a more authentic um, expression of who we are. But that's a, that's a quick look at it, and that's one of the primary 
challenges that the hero or heroine faces on our journey. Yeah, and so for everyone listening, the hero's journey is, is your journey. It's my journey. It's Brian's journey. It's, it's all of our journeys, right? It's not just in the movies. The movies just kind of let us tap into and look at ourselves in a different way. We see ourselves in what we see in the screen. So really take this and understand, and if, it, if it's of interest to you, understand there is this kind of universal process that we'll continue to go through, not just as young adults, but as we move into the next phase of our life. Even doing this conference for me is you know, stepping into my unknown and getting really uncomfortable speaking to some people who I really admire um, and, and trying to figure out how to best navigate those challenges. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's that. And then I think another huge thing that was coming up for me was kind of like, am I good enough to follow my heart into the forest of the unknown? You know, can I be successful? And I found a lot of comfort in the 10,000-hour idea. So maybe you can unpack that a little bit. Yeah, that's great. And I think that question is absolutely essential. And you can get to a point where you have an ungrounded sense of arrogance, um, not you, but the general you, and we all can, of, yeah, I can do it. And Well, great. And are you willing to show up? Are you mastering your fundamentals? Are you putting in the effort? And there's this, what authors and researchers call the narcissism epidemic, where a lot of individuals in the world, and particularly the younger generation, have a sense of entitlement that you should be able to snap your fingers and get whatever you want. And the reality is it doesn't work that way. And we've got to be willing to show up and do the work. And when we realize that, that any path of mastery requires a high degree of commitment and persistence and diligence and patience and all these other fundamental virtues, um, we have a much greater tendency for success. And the 10,000 hour rule is a brilliant one. That if you look at people who have really, really excelled and achieved a level of world-class status in any given domain, they've put in a lot of effort, a lot of what researchers call deliberate practice. And so we just need to orient ourselves to that and to be honest about are we showing up or are we having a sense of entitlement? And when we have the sense of I'm willing to put in the effort, you know, I'm willing to do the work, then life becomes a lot more fun. We can go for these audacious goals, but they don't need to happen tomorrow. And we can enjoy the process of showing up and doing the work. And Joseph Campbell, again, our, our hero who described the hero's journey for us, he used to have young students of his come up to him and say, do you think I can make it as a writer or as an artist? And he'd say to them, well, if you think your first book needs to be a bestseller, then no, I actually, I'm a little concerned. I'm not sure you can make it. But if you're willing to put in 10 years of hard work with no one recognizing you at all, then you have a shot. It's not a guaranteed success, but you have a shot. And we need to approach it with that attitude where we're willing to put in the work. And again, unfortunately, so few people are, then they want it immediately, that overnight. Nothing happens overnight that's sustainable. Um, there's these, you know, 10-year overnight success stories. You look at whoever you admire. The Beatles are, you know, there's so many great books on this. Um, but the people we admire have put in an extraordinary amount of work. And the reality is that genius is made, not born. Even someone like a Mozart, you look at him, uh, was he born a musical prodigy? Eh, well, you might have had a, a bit of a disposition, but he was also born the son of one of the world's leading teachers of music at the time. And the, he put 
more hours in. He put his 10,000 hours in as a child, and he was producing extraordinary stuff at a young age, but it came on the other side of thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of work. He deformed his hands because he worked so much. So was his genius genetic or was his genius hard work? Well, the research says it was, it was a lot of the hard work. So we've got to be willing to show up and put in that time. And when we do, there's this amazing thing that happens that you're talking about, Jacob, of there's a confidence that comes of I can do that. I'm going to, I'm going to put in the effort and I'm going to do the work and I'm not going to be so attached to the immediate outcomes. I'm going to be committed to doing the work and let the outcomes be a byproduct of me working my ass off. And when we do that, magical things happen and we love the process of achieving a, a high level of excellence. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so cool that we, we've touched on that knowledge of self earlier and figuring out kind of who am I and what do I care about because then you, it's not like society tells us to chase all these other things that we know scientifically don't make us happy, the money, the fame, the beauty. We know that kind of in, intuitively also we know that, but now we go in and we spend some time slowing down to figure out who am I, what do I care about, and getting clear on that and then saying, okay, I'm going to commit to this path here because this is not based on what other people are saying. This is based on what I care about. And, um, and, and, that, and that's enjoyable then because now you're doing what you care about, so it's deep meaning. So 10,000 hours might seem like a long time, um, which I think breaks down to like three hours a day or something for 10 years or something like along those lines. Um, but basically you're enjoying the process and you're challenged and, you know, it becomes tough, but you care about it, um, so it becomes enjoyable. But w one of the things that I hear my friends and I hear people and I know I face and I know you face talk about is um, that, you know, we've been conditioned not to fail. We've been conditioned that failure is not an option and that what we do in that sense reflects our own self-worth. So if I go talk to a person who I'm attracted to because I want to create a connection with them and they reject me, well, that's a direct reflection of my own value as a person or if I want to take on this project and really commit myself to living a life that I'm passionate about where I can serve, well, you know, if I screw up and it doesn't go right, then I'm a screw up and I'm not right. But maybe you can talk a little bit about the idea of being good versus getting better. Yeah, this is great. Now, I want to, I want to highlight one quick thing on the 10,000 hours. There are two things that allow us to have deeper levels of confidence. The patience by saying, I'm going to put in the work over the long run, in service, where it isn't all about us. When we make it about giving our gifts to the world, and it's not just about us being famous or rich or hot or whatever. It's about serving. It's about giving ourselves to the world. The intrinsic motivators you're talking about, um, those two together are my stress solvent. If I'm stressed, it's usually because I'm being impatient. I want it today or yesterday, and it's all about me. I want something. I'm looking to get versus giving. So we want to alchemize that. Be patient and be service-oriented. Think about how you're going to give your gifts in service to the world. It just, it's a fuel of enthusiasm. So I want to hit on that. And then, yeah, we got to look at failure. The reality is we need to fail more. When we can reorient ourselves to, a, to failing more and realizing that failure goes with success. Uh, one of my new favorite teachers and, and, and uh, just great authors, a guy named Steve Chandler. I was talking to him the other day, and he had this great wisdom. He talked about Alan Watts, old school philosopher, who says that he has this word called, called goes with. He combined two words, goes with, into one. And he says, failure goes with success. Success 
goes with failure. Yes goes with no. We have this yin and yang experience where these things go together. And we try to artificially divorce them from one another. And when we do, we get in trouble. So, for example, let's say that, that and this is a Steve Chandler metaphor, let's say that I'll pay you 100 bucks if you flip a coin, and every time it lands on tails, I'll pay you 100 bucks, right? Every time you flip a coin and it lands on tails, I'll give you 100 bucks. Now, are you going to stress about it landing on heads and think you're a failure if it lands on heads? No, you're going to flip the shit out of that coin as many times as you possibly can right? <laughs> to see if you can get it to land on tails again and again and again because you know you're going to get paid 100 bucks. Well, the tails goes with the heads in that, in that equation. And it's the same thing with failure. We've got to realize that any time we push our edges, that failure is going to go with it. It's just a rule. And whoever fails the most, there are literally books written. The title of, of one of my favorite books, think of something like whoever makes the most mistakes wins. You look at anyone in any domain. Michael Jordan is, is the perfect example. Few people realize that, that the only record that Jordan holds, I'm pretty sure, is he's missed the most shots. It's amazing. He hasn't scored the most points. He hasn't even won the most championships. He hasn't done any of those things. He's missed the most shots. And he's reoriented his relationship to failure such that he knows that missed shots goes with make, made shots. And we've got to have the audacity and the courage to, to fail. And that orientation, as you alluded to, is the growth mindset. We want to quit thinking that everything we do is a judgment on our self-worth. If I fail here, if this person doesn't want to go out with me or this business doesn't work or this email is not responded to positively, I'm a failure. That's what scientists call a fixed mindset. If you're in a fixed mindset where everything that happens is life or death, and I lived my life here for, for, year, for years and years, you're in trouble. You're, never, you're paralyzed. You're never going to take action. But if you can look at it and say, look, I want to grow. I want to become a better human being. Part of that is falling down, making mistakes, and I'm willing to make mistakes. I'm willing to have no's go with my yeses. I'm willing to have failures go with my successes. Your, your freedom exists in that mindset, the growth mindset, getting a little bit better, embracing failures, missing a lot of shots, et cetera. That's awesome. So we're, we're pretty much at a wrap here, and there's a thing that I, I'd like to end this chat with in a pretty uh, obscure way. I've never done this before, but I, I almost want to do like a word association, but instead with words, rather, um, I want to name some inspiring people and just see like if you can mention maybe the first thing or two or ten that comes to mind when I say their name, whether it's a big idea or a quote or how they've inspired you, just something really short. And I'm just going to read off some names, and I think it would be really cool if you just share what comes to mind. Cool with that? Let's do it. Okay, Maslow, Abraham Maslow. <laughs> Abraham Maslow, what one can be, one must be. Nietzsche. Nietzsche, he says, uh, what's his, how does he put it? He puts it, this is my truth, what is your truth? There is no way. So people would come to Nietzsche and say, what is the way? How do I live my life most extraordinarily? And he'd say, there is no the way. This is my truth. What is your truth? We all need to figure out what our truths are if we want to live an authentic life. Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl. So this is a Holocaust survivor who said, the only thing that someone can't take from you, they can take everything from you. They can take everything imaginable, but 
your freedom to choose a response to any given situation. And that's an amazingly profound truth that we talked about earlier. Step in between stimulus response, choose your most empowered response, never give that power away. Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey. So Stephen Covey, old school guy, awesome character ethic. He's all about integrity. And it's not about the personality ethic of being super cool and hot and all these things and being able to pick up chicks at a bar or whatever. It's about having character, living with virtue. That's the heart of excellence, happiness, everything we want. Confucius. Confucius. Confucius is another awesome old school dude. Confucius has something great. He says that uh, find me someone who's willing to work hard for 10 years without any recognition and well, you won't be able to find anyone who's willing to do that. But that person is the master. And he jokingly said that, you know, it took him 10 years to kind of climb the first rung in the ladder. Another 10 years, he got a little bit better. Another 10 years, he was almost able to do things well. And then he started getting good at, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80. That humility and the diligence, the patience, the persistence, the excellence is what I think of with Confucius. Okay, Buddha. Buddha. <laughs> Buddha. I love how he says that the wise shape their minds. A carpenter shapes wood. Uh, the wise shape their minds. So what we've been talking about today as well. And he also says, if anything is worth doing, do it with all your heart. Don't do it halfway. Do it all or don't do it at all. Joseph Campbell, who we spoke about with the hero's journey. You said, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey, follow your bliss, he told us. It's one of the jumping off points into enlightenment. Sat Chit Ananda. Ananda is bliss. But he also said, follow your bliss and follow your grunt. You've got to be willing to work hard in pursuit of what you love. Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius. Another one of my favorite teachers, emperor, philosopher. He says that uh, your mind becomes dyed with basically the color of your thoughts. So soak it then in good thoughts. Right? And he also has something called the equanimity game, balance of mind. When you get off balance, see how fast you can get on balance. When you get off, see how quickly you can get back on. Get off, get back on. Make that a habit, and you'll find yourself really, really good at not getting off track for long periods of time. Okay, we've got five more. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Two things come to mind. One, brevity is the soul of wit. Brevity is the soul of wit. And then he also says, the very first quote I ever memorized, to thine own self be true, and it canst, <laughs> to thine own self be true, and basically you can never be false anyway. You've got to trust yourself, be true to yourself, and uh, life proceeds from there. Paulo Coelho. Paulo Coelho. Uh, most fresh thing with Paulo Coelho, who's extraordinary, I love all of his stuff, the alchemist, etc. he says, you know, don't be ashamed of your difficult times in your life. He says, wear your scars like medals. Wear your scars like medals. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed. Be proud of the challenges you've faced and how you've overcome them. Seneca. Seneca. Seneca, another Stoic philosopher, he's got some wisdom where he says, you know, when you've really figured it out, then what's best for you is what you most love to do. And that, we want to get to that point, where what's best for you is what you most love to do. That's what I think of when I think of Seneca. Osho. 
Osho. So Osho is all about uh, his intense passion for life, and he talks about, you know, balance. And he says there's no such thing as balance. Life is kind of like a tightrope walker where you don't want balance. You want a dynamic harmony, but, you know, you're a little bit too far to the left. Then, you, then you're walking on the tightrope, but you're a little bit too far to the right, and you're constantly balancing. But you're willing to experience all sides of life dynamically and passionately, and you're finding that dynamic equilibrium uh, in a really authentic, powerful way. And finally, Emerson. <laughs> Emerson. So we named our son after Emerson. And uh, self-reliance is what I think of with Emerson, to trust ourselves. Ultimately, he says every heart vibrates to that iron string, trusting ourselves. And he also says it takes something godlike in him or her to trust himself as a taskmaster. The world is constantly forcing us into conformity, and it takes something godlike in us to actually trust ourselves. Uh, that's what I think of when I think of Emerson. I cannot thank you enough. You cannot see how big the smile on my face is right now. And uh, just a million tons of gratitude for you, everything you've done, everything you've shared. Um, big hug, brother. <laughs> right on, dude. Super fun. I'm proud of you and uh, excited to share this wisdom and looking forward to playing together in the years and decades ahead, man. Let's take a look at some of my favorite big ideas from this interview. Big idea number one, controlling our minds. We need to be able to put our attention where we want it, when we want it there. If our mind is constantly out of control and going to all the places and things that we don't want in life, we're powerless. The good news is we can start to shape our mind by stepping in between the event and how we respond to it. And as we make this a daily practice, let's ask ourselves, what do we really want here? And what's the most empowered way we can respond to this situation? Meditation is one of the biggest ways to get control over your mind. If we think of our mind as a muscle, then what we want to do is strengthen it and meditation is like hitting the gym for your mind, even if it's just for a minute or two or three each day. For more information on getting started with meditation, head on over to sensify.com slash meditation. That's S-E-N-S-O-P-H-Y dot com slash meditation. Big idea number two, fundamentals. Remember, if we want happiness, we've got to live with virtue. In other words, we need to live in integrity with our highest ideals, the things that are most important to us. The first step is, get clear on what is most important to you. And you can ask yourself, what do you love to do so much that you would pay to do it every day? Now, how can you get paid to do that? Once we get clear on what our ideal vision is, then we can come back and connect it to our current reality. At this point, we want to identify what our fundamentals are. In other words, when you're feeling great and performing at your best, what are the daily activities that you're doing? If you're not sure, start with these two questions. The first, what's the number one thing you could start doing in your life that if you did consistently would have the most positive impact in your life? Start doing that. The second, what's the number one thing you can stop doing in your life that would have the most positive impact in your life? Stop doing that. And remember, you'll never hit a state of total bliss. Don't think your life will ever be perfect. It won't. You'll go up and down, but the fundamentals help us have higher highs and higher lows. They're like scaffolding, so we can't fall as low. Big idea number three, the hero's journey. 
If we want to live an extraordinary life, we've got to embrace the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is about figuring out how we can give our greatest gifts to the world. This requires us to leave behind what's familiar and go out into the unknown. The path needs to be unique to you. It's going to be scary and you're going to get knocked down. You'll find mentors and ultimately you'll come back to your community with the wisdom that you gained. To do this, you've got to be willing to show up and do the work. Remember the 10,000 hour concept. Genius is made, not born. There are two things which have allowed Brian to have greater levels of confidence on his path. The first, patience. And the second, being service oriented. Next time you're stressed, check in and ask yourself, are you making it all about you and wanting whatever it is that you want right now? Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.